Welcome to Childhood Art, a podcast sponsored by the Center for the Study of Childhood Art at the University of Arkansas. I'm Christopher Schulte, Director of the Center for the Study of Childhood Art and co-host of the Childhood Art Podcast. Hi, I'm Hyam Park, Associate Director of the Center for the Study of Childhood Art and co-host of the Childhood Art Podcast. Today, we are very pleased to welcome Dr. Sylvia Rodriguez-Vega. Sylvia Rodriguez-Vega is an interdisciplinary scholar and assistant professor at UCSB's Department of Chicana, Chicano Studies. She is a community-engaged writer, artist, and educational practitioner. Her research explores the ways anti-immigration policy impacts the lives of immigrant children through methodological tools centering participatory art and creative expression. Her first book, Drawing Deportation, Art and Resistance Among Immigrant Children, with NYU Press, argues that immigrant children are not passive in the face of the challenges presented by U.S. anti-immigration policies. Her writing has also been published in Latino, Studi Latino Studies, uh, Aztalan, the Journal of Chicano Studies, the Association of Mexican-American Educators Journal, AERA Open, American Psychological Association's Handbook of Adolescent and Youth Development, and the Harvard Journal of Hispanic Policy. Support for her research has been funded by the Ford Foundation, the Institute of American Culture, UC Mexis, American Association of University Women, and through collaborations with the Social and Public Art Resource Center and the Los Angeles Unified School District. More broadly, she is interested in issues of structural inequality, legal violence, youth participatory action research, ethnic studies, K-12 education, immigration policy, mixed status families, childhood transborder relations, undocumented youth and children, and arts and activism through performance and digital media. Sylvia, welcome to Childhood Art. Hi, it's so great to be here with you all. Yep, we're so pleased you could be here with us. So Sylvia, I wonder if you could share us a little bit about your childhood, specifically the role of art and play during this time. Yeah, this is a really beautiful question to start with because I remember I was an only child um, in the beginning of my childhood. And my mom has really great stories about me having tons of imaginary friends and pretending to play baseball with people when it was just me. And I would have, she would say that I'd name all of my cousins, that I'd say tons of people's names that I've never met before, um, but that I, I just was very involved in, in making up games and making up people. <laughs> um, but I think beyond that, once my brother was born, um, we loved to watch TV, honestly. I just remember it was really fun for us to watch Baywatch, even though we probably shouldn't be watching Baywatch at that age. Um, but we would try to guess the commercials that were going to be happening on TV. Like as soon as a commercial, we'd have to like say the name of what it was. Um, and I think that probably was because we needed to be in the house mostly. Uh, I think now thinking about that, it was probably because our neighborhood wasn't the safest. So we'd, you know, play games in the house. Um, but I soon really fell in love with using art. Um, I was a part of a group at school. I think I was 12 years old. Um, and we were using art as a tool to talk about things that were happening in the community. 
It started off as a program for um, tobacco prevention. And so we'd go and do these speeches about tobacco prevention at schools. And then we started using theater to communicate those messages. And then I fell in love with using theater and art. And, um, and then I loved all forms of expression. That's great, Sylvia. I wonder if you could talk just a little bit more. I mean, I think it's it's interesting that to have like a really specific experience or event from your childhood or youth that you can sort of recall. And I wonder what was it about those experiences that you sort of remember being, you know, so powerful in terms of shaping how you think about and approach the world around you? And also, you know, are those things that as an adult now who's doing work with children and youth that you are trying to kind of generate occasions for? Yeah, definitely. I actually just came back from sharing my book with um, people back home in Arizona. And I had this really beautiful opportunity to reconnect with my mentors from that theater group when I was a kid. And I, it was, I, I basically cried throughout the whole of my book talk because it was really powerful to be in a room where the mentors who had taught me about theater, about the role of art and the power of music were in the room. And as a kid, I remember my very first big theater performance. Um, we were doing a skit about um, a girl whose dad was a counselor and she was involved in games. And we took that skit, and of course, I was a girl involved in games, um, and we took that skit and performed it in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in front of a conference of um, mental health practitioners. And so we did the skit, and the night before, we were practicing this whole time, we go to the, to the place um, to rehearse, and I see a, a huge ballroom of like 300 seats getting set up. And as a 13 year old, I freaked out and I started crying and I was like, I don't think I can do this. I, I don't know if this, if I can do this in front of this many people. And I remember my, my mentor, um, his name is Gustavo McGrew. He, he was like, you, you can do it. And he kind of did some breathing exercises and we had a really long conversation. And the next day he retold the story last week where he said that, we performed and then I had a standing ovation, which as a 13 year old to work through something so scary and actually do it. I think that was a really powerful moment. And so he was super proud of me, but he, he was like, yes, the book and the PhD and all these things are amazing, but seeing you conquer your fear of speaking in that in front of that many people as a 13 year old really was powerful. And so later I, I started to get involved in a, in a similar theater group um, where my mentor was doing her PhD about our, our theater group. And it was about young Latinas and their role, uh, the role of culture and society. And um, once she finished her PhD, she won an award from ARA um, about her dissertation. And 14 years later, I, won the same award with my own PhD and my own dissertation that was about working with theater and young children. 
And so those moments are full circle moments where I see the power of art as I was a, a young preteen, a teen, a teenager, a college student, I carried it all through that time. And it really came for full circle in using the tools that were taught to me as a kid by these mentors and working with children myself. And so that, it was a really beautiful reminder of the journey I've, I've been through uh, and the power that art, uh, specifically theater, has had in my life. That's wonderful. Um, so when you presented your work as part of the Childhood Art Speaker Series, one of the things that we were struck by was the conceptual language you used. Um, so for example, you spoke about the machinery of deportation, right? So what we appreciated was um, about this was not so much that you used this particular language, but rather how intentional and thoughtful you were when using it. So um, it wasn't forced onto the lives, um, the events and experiences of children, but it was instead very carefully and connected to their lives and to the stories they shared with you. So we wonder if you will be willing to talk more about this process um, of making decisions about how and why to frame or contextualize the work and stories of children. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that children, what I write in the book towards the conclusion is that kids are the best theory makers. And their ideas are, are so sophisticated because they really do believe so many of the ideals that we're taught in schools as kids about respect, about caring for one another, about even things about the country, that we are a land of immigrants, a place of opportunity, and all of these, these narratives. And when they see that that doesn't align with their lives and that there is a, a discrepancy happening. I think they're very um, insulted by that. They, they are personally offended that the things that they've been taught are actually not what adults are practicing, especially people like presidents and leaders and, and principals and teachers. And so I think that they're very elegant in, in calling these things out. Uh, for example, a lot of the kids talked about being treated like animals. And I think in the literature, we can connect it to ideas of dehumanization and ways that immigrants have been constructed as other than human. Um, but I think that it was very natural to see the connection between what scholars and intellectuals are, are talking about, which, you know, in sophisticated language of the deportation machinery, about legal violence, about uh, context and, and legacies of family separation, but children are also saying the same things. And so I think my job was to connect those things, but I think what was hard and what is often hard is to get children to express them in the first place. And I think that's where the role of art came in, in that through art, <clears throat> they were able to, to express their ideas and discontent and, and um, ways of feeling othered. And I think connecting it with the literature was my way of facilitating those two meeting and affirming the experiences of immigrant families and children specifically. Um, but I just was excited to see what they were gonna talk about, what conversations were gonna happen and just to hear their, their, their stories and experiences. 
Thanks, Sylvia. I absolutely love the idea uh, that you're putting forward that which, which in my experience has been very true as well, that children are exceptional theory makers. One of the things that, that kind of struck me as you were talking is that kind of undergirding that, that sort of like robust practice of, of theory making and making theory is this kind of, are, are a series of ethical orientations that young people have, but then also the recognition of this disconnect that, that adults don't always hold, hold that up. Right, and you spoke a little bit to this about how you move young people to, I think, share those realizations, but also the the more personal stories that they have that kind of bump up against it, and how you set up an occasion where young people feel comfortable to be able to, you know, share that at those aspects of themselves with you. And I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about within the context of your project what that experience was like, one, to be able to sense that those things are there, but also to build you know, thoughtful, engaged, respectful relationships with the young people you were working with and to slowly become uh, a witness to some of the stories that they shared with you. Yeah, thank you so much for, for affirming that in that way. Um... I think a lot about the work of Paulo Freire, of course, because that is one of the foundations of not only my intellectual work, but my experience as a young person. I was so fortunate that in this theater group that I was a part of, my mentor was talking about, Paulo Freire was talking about all of these systems that we live under. And um, it was something that I saw uh, modeled. And I think that I went back to that when I was in the classroom, when I was with the children. And for example, Paulo Freire talks about praxis, theory in action. And I think that is what children really, really care about is that what you're saying is actually what you're doing. So whether it's a parent or a teacher saying like, we shouldn't do this because X, Y, and Z, they care about not, not necessarily the reasoning or the parameters, but the actual action that is happening based on the words of the adult. And so I think I was able to really see the things that they cared about because they were talking about things like bullying, they were talking about uh, climate change, they were talking a lot about other countries, they were talking about North Korea, they were talking about Syria, and seeing how aware they were of their surroundings of the world was really powerful. Um, but I think it mostly came out when we were saying some things aren't aligning. Uh, when we think about um, the things that were taught in school and matter in that matter to us, that's not what is happening in the world. And so I think the work of Freddy helps us really make those connections and, and talk about what does it mean to actually embody the things that we want to see and I think that's where theater comes in as a superhero because you're able to have children embody and practice in their own physicality what does it mean for something to have to achieve justice or for something to be um, corrected and so they practice the bullying exercises they practice being a president that chooses not to bomb another country and they embody being police officers and military uh, personnel and parents and all sorts of people and i think that exercise 
not only helps them intellectually, but physically really cement these, these um, complex ideas that they actually do have a, a grasp on. So as someone who is clearly um, deeply committed to doing this important work with children, um, what is something you wish others, so more broadly, um, were better attuned to or perhaps more willing to consider? Um, so I asked this question realizing, of course, there's a there's like a very long list to choose from. Yeah, I, I, I feel really strongly that we don't give children an opportunity to express themselves. I think that we often interpret a lot and, and even just in doing studies or projects that involve children is so challenging. Interviewing kids is one of the hardest things I've ever done. And so I understand why children often lack a voice in a lot of things about them and about schooling and families and, and uh, you know, where they exist and live. And so one of the things I do wish that um, was more prominent is, is figuring out ways for children to express themselves in their own in their own way, in ways that are comfortable for them. For me, it comes across through art, but I think that other people have done this through other modalities of, of play and other art mediums. Um, but I do feel strongly that children have so much to contribute and so much to say, given the opportunity to express themselves in a way that is comfortable for them. And so I, I think about the work of not only Pablo Freire, who I mentioned, but Augusto Boal, who uses techniques of icebreakers and theater games to really create um, in, a, in a goal of creating community, to create rapport and trust with the participants. And I think that was one of the ways that it was so important for me to in include and work with kids. Um, but I think broadly speaking, I feel that just including the voices of children, even if it is through interviews or through creativity is so essential, especially when we're talking about uh, systems that impact their lives every day. I'd like to ask just kind of a, a brief follow-up to that because I, I think the point you're making is really important just in general, the way in which young people are not often regarded as having contributions that are worth hearing and are not often provided the spaces that are the requisite spaces to maybe share those contributions or just broadly speaking, but it becomes really problematic in relation to really important topics and issues that affect their lives, such as deportation. And um, there's obviously lots of reasons for that. And I, but I wonder, I wonder if you would maybe expand a little bit on what you said and why, why, why it's so important to very carefully craft spaces where children's voices can be heard, but specifically in relationship to events and topics and policies and practices that have such a clear material effect on their lives and bodies. Yeah. One of my biggest pet peeves is when people say children are the future or like the youth are the future. I really, really, really dislike that expression. And I've always disliked it since I was a young person. So it doesn't even come from me as an adult. This is like 
14 year old me hearing that and just cringing because it would upset me. It was the fastest way that I would feel dismissed because you're, you're going to be valuable, but in the future, but right now we're the adults and we get to make the rules and say how things go. And I think that that always stifles us from actually gaining so much perspective from young children and, and teens and youth in general um, because they aren't the future. They are part of our society now. They are active members of our society, of our families, of our communities, of our schools. And I think that they uh, have a voice that should be heard. I often think about right now what, what really um, is occupying a lot of my mind and, and attention is what is happening with children organizing around gun violence. And I feel that unfortunately, because of systemic oppression, when it comes to communities of color, specifically children are the ones that have to speak out on behalf of their families. Children in, in all communities of color, immigration, uh, but now we're seeing it very, very prevalent in gun violence. And I think that those voices are the most powerful voices, are the voices that we should be listening to because they are experiencing what is happening in schools and, and uh, in very terrible ways. Um, and if we don't do that, the future is going to be a terrible one where we have youth who don't transition to adulthood in healthy uh, in healthy ways. I, that's not going to be healthy for them or for our society. And so I, I really implore anybody who works and interacts, and even if you don't know a young person, finding a way of, of bringing them into those conversations and being part of the table, being decision makers, being part of the research pro process, I think is one of the most valuable things that we can do as a society to actually create change that will um, that will be for the betterment of all of us. Um, but that that's what it makes me think about. Thank you, Sylvia. I appreciate it. Yeah. Sylvia, um, on a related note, is there a particular idea or set of ideas that you feel routinely surface and that make challenging the work you do? Um, and the importance of this work for young ch children. Um, so in other words, are there any specific challenges in your experience to centering the arts as a critical site for these engagements? Yeah, I think one of the challenges is that uh, I think that the arts are marginal to everything in society, especially when you're... Um, when resources are so scarce. And I think the arts like children are not taken seriously and are seen as frivolous and play and something, you know, like not necessary, um, especially when we think about curriculum and um, schools that are struggling, art programs are the ones that disappear immediately. I think that is a horrible challenge that we're facing because these are children who most need art. I often would go and work as an art educator or teacher at schools, and they would have art class at the very end of the day after all of the very important subjects. But what it would really bother me is that the children who would misbehave or wear the uniform wrong or didn't bring their homework 
were taken out of art class. So art class was used as leverage that if you misbehave, you're not gonna get your prize, which is art class. And only the good students are gonna go to art. And what I found was that the kids who were struggling and who were misbehaving and not wearing uniforms and struggling are the ones that needed it the most. And so I think that that just reflects what we value in society that we not only not value art, but we don't value black and brown children having art because we know that in affluent communities who have great funding for schools, they have extracurriculars and parents have the means to enroll their children in all sorts of programs and um, art opportunities, but the children in inner city communities do not have that opportunity. And so it is something that I think is, is not only challenging, but terrible. And um, also, you know, isn't good for anyone in society, especially the, the children who get to miss out on those opportunities that are so vital, not only um, for them and their development, but also we know that children who have art do better in math and do better in English and all sorts of subjects. Um, so that is something that that definitely worries me. Thank you, Sylvia. One of the things like, I mean, given the, the scope and the, the purpose of the Center for the Study of Childhood Art, um, and given some of what you shared in your prior presentation, both the, the, the theater-based work that you were doing with young people, but then also the drawings, I wonder just from uh, thinking from like an artistic standpoint, how has that work been received by people you've shared this research with? And has it been, what, what has maybe been the, where have their attentions gone? And where has the art sort of figured into that? Yeah, it's interesting because I think that the response is either people have nothing to say, like I finished my presentations and there are no questions. And that is always interesting and perplexes me because I have, I've just given you so much and shown you all these drawings that are just beautiful and heartbreaking and all, all over the place. And I think people don't, especially people who are very ingrained in, in traditional academic disciplines, don't necessarily know how to make sense of including art in scholarship. And so I feel like there's, um, there's a struggle in, in attempting to understand it and see how it fits. So that's one reaction. I think the other reaction is one that is overly engaged and really excited and you, they want me to come to their class and work with the kids and do art. And um, every it's interesting because every time there's a kid in the room, somehow I walk out with a drawing and they draw either the, what I'm doing, me presenting, they make a drawing. Um, and I think that that is so special because I'm thinking about who is the audience of this work. It's not only folks in academia, but also people in community, also other kids, also um, people who don't have a formal education. And so to me, um, their response and reaction is, is so important. And I thought about it when I was writing the book and, and trying to use language that was accessible um, trying to break down theories and ideas and you know concepts that are that are complex 
in ways that were accessible for people that I grew up with, for my family, for my community, because I see that this work is an investment of more than just one person, not just me or the people who helped me in my own education. Um, but I wanted to do something that would speak to that. And I think, you know, that reflects the reactions that I get. Some people are like, oh, well, this is very interesting. Um, but other people really see it as a, a new possibility of how to do work in the academy that includes the voices of children, um, but also includes art and um, can be very interdisciplinary. Thank you, Sylvia. And just want to say thank you for taking the time to be with us today and for, you know, reflecting so carefully on some of our questions, which were large questions in many ways, and you did incredibly well to provide such thoughtful responses. And we very much appreciate the work you're doing and, and that you've taken the time to share it with us and for those connected to the center. So thank you. Thank you so much. I've received a really beautiful response from folks who attended the last uh, talk. And so it's wonderful to be in community with others who also care about children and care about art. It's been really wonderful. Thank you. Good. This Thank fall, you. when we return from a short summer break, we will sit down with Dr. Loiza Penfold of Harvard University to discuss her ongoing pedagogical work and research at the intersection of children's play and contemporary art. Until then, please visit our webpage for additional updates and news at www.centerforthestudyofchildhoodart.com. Thank you. And thank you, Sylvia. Thank you all. Thank you, Sylvia.